0: For Tuesday, August 18th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, hundreds of frontline healthcare workers in the U.S. have died from complications from coronavirus infections. A joint project from Kaiser Health News and The Guardian is telling their stories.
1: You just really want the public... To understand what we're losing, to understand that this isn't just statistics, that this is, you know real lives and real people.
0: Christina Jewett with Kaiser Health News and Danielle Renwick with The Guardian join me to discuss their efforts to document those lost on the front line. That's next.
1: You love free.
2: Support
1: for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org.
0: For months now, reporters from Kaiser Health News and The Guardian have been working to chronicle all the health care workers who have died of COVID-19 in the U.S., So far, they've counted more than 900 and have profiled more than 150, telling the stories of their lives cut short by the pandemic. The project is called Lost on the Front Line, and two members of the team behind it, Christina Jewett from Kaiser Health News and Danielle Renwick from The Guardian, are with me now to discuss it. Thank you both for talking with me.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you
2: so much.
0: I wanna start by talking about the inspiration for this project. There are so many different threads of stories you can pull in this pandemic. So what got y'all interested in pulling this one in particular?
2: This is Danielle speaking. I, I think it came out of a realization of how poorly prepared our health system was for this crisis. Early on, we saw that health workers were putting their lives on the line to help those in their community. And we wanted to memorialize them so they weren't just remembered as as statistics. But we also wanted to investigate why so many health workers were getting sick and and dying. And we wanted to look at what factors, whether it was access to PPE, geography, demographics, types of healthcare professions that put some health workers more at risk. Um, So we really wanted to examine the the ways in which our health system has failed them. Uh, And that's where the database comes in.
0: Well, sure. And I want to talk about that data because y'all are doing work that government agencies aren't even necessarily doing. My sense is there's no good repository of all this information that's out there from, say, the CDC or a state-level health agency.
1: This is Christina. Yeah, that's right. We actually wrote a story specifically about that. The CDC is raking in this information to some degree on a two-page form. It's called a person under investigation form, basically. Something you might think of as a test result form for, you know, who has COVID, who doesn't. And it's understandable that not everyone's holding on to this form until, you know, hospitalization is completely over, which could take weeks with COVID. So the CDC is getting data where the majority of the forms they get don't report whether the person lived or died and also don't report their profession. So the numbers from the CDC, they acknowledge, are, are a huge undercount. And when you get beyond that, there's no state agency you know, releasing the names, no federal agency releasing names of workers. That's all work that, that we're doing, sort of just putting it all together as we go, just really trawling the web and social media to find these cases. It's just really difficult to uh, know the entire universe. We know there's gaps in in what we we know already, but it's also sort of the most comprehensive project that's out there that we're aware of.
0: And I'm wondering if one of y'all can talk a little bit about just kind of the process here. Christina, you mentioned trolling social media. That's something I've done as a reporter to try to find stories during this pandemic. You're you're just kind of out there searching for any thread you can find to pull?
1: This is Christina, we we have two full-time staff looking at GoFundMe, looking at legacy.com, looking at Twitter, looking at Facebook. Searching this way and that, we're also um, getting data from some researchers at Northeastern University who are looking at deactivated provider numbers for folks who've died and trying to understand if they died of COVID. And once we find these leads, it takes just a lot of old school journalism to dig in, call the family, call the medical examiner, call the hospital, try to find out if they were healthcare workers on the front lines who died of COVID, and then try to understand why
0: You've found some 900 plus healthcare workers whose deaths you have attributed to the coronavirus. But what you've also done is create some 160 kind of profiles of, of these individuals who have lost their lives. I'm wondering if y'all can maybe tell me one or two of their stories so our listeners really get a sense of who these people are that, that y'all are profiling.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is Danielle. I should note that those 160 something is, it's the work in progress. So we hope to memorialize every healthcare worker who we identify. Um, and we're enlisting a lot of journalists to go about this project. So it is very much an ongoing process. But just to name a few, um, I wrote about Alfredo and Susana Pavatao, who are a married couple from the Philippines. They lived in New Jersey. They were both health workers who became sick and died within a week of each other. I spoke with their daughter who said that they were very much still in love and she couldn't imagine them, either one living without the other. Uh, Alfredo still bought his wife flowers all the time. And they left five children um, who are are reeling from the loss. Um, Three of the kids live in the U.S. and two live back in the Philippines. And they told me about Sort of mourning together in their family WhatsApp group. I also wrote about Barry Weber, a surgeon in New York who had an amazing sense of curiosity. He built his own computer, he built a Jeep in his garage, was somebody who just loved figuring out how things worked. And it's been really important to us to not only write the stories about how somebody died and the circumstances around them becoming infected with the virus, but we also just want our readers to know who these people were in in life. A big part of this has been speaking with loved ones and and getting their photos and learning what their passions were and what they meant uh, to their family and friends.
0: And these are a few individual stories behind actually a larger body of data. Christina, I also understand that y'all are kind of looking at this broad, data set and are actually starting to pull out some some kind of patterns and trends. So, of the healthcare workers whose deaths you have confirmed tracked, what are some of the trends that y'all have seen?
1: So far what we've seen, I'll just run down a list of, of stats. Um, the majority 62% are people of color. 31% of the people we profiled have had concerns about their personal protective equipment. 38% that was the biggest group of, of healthcare workers were nurses, but were also profiling doctors, orderlies, cafeteria workers in hospitals, I mean, everyone who's coming into contact with workers in the healthcare setting. And 103 died in April. That was after that initial um, surge on the East Coast. There were multiple cases coming in every day. It was It was pretty shocking at that time, and it has slowed down since then.
0: Did anything surprise you? I'm kind of curious to hear about the kinds of jobs that these people held, because we think of healthcare and people might think of doctors, surgeons, nurses, but there are lots of other people who work in these settings potentially exposed to this very infectious virus.
1: Absolutely. This is Christina talking to a lawyer. We were doing a story focusing on, on workers' comp. And I heard about one person who was a secretary in the emergency room who was basically pressed into service screening patients during a surge in New Jersey, wound up getting COVID and dying. There was a gentleman in a hospital in Pennsylvania whose job was to change air filters. And we've since seen research come out that the viral aerosolized particles, you know, really um, collect on the air filters. He caught COVID and he passed away. So, you know, folks who transport patients through the hallways, I mean, there's just a building, growing body of research showing that this is spread through the air, that there's live viral particles in the air. So really anyone in a hospital or nursing home could be at risk. And we do see that those lower level workers often don't have those high levels of PPE that you might see with a doctor or nurse in the COVID unit.
0: Were there broad trends that you noticed about what went wrong here? I think people hearing this might assume that people working in these frontline jobs are are inherently going to be at more risk during a pandemic. They're at more risk of catching an infectious disease. Generally, I think we can assume if they work in these settings. But I know from y'all's reporting, you actually found that there were some things that went wrong here. So talk to me about that if you could.
1: This is Christina you know, one of the things we um, wrote about early in April was a number of experts were saying that surgical masks in the medical setting are totally inadequate. They're not protecting workers. They're meant to, you know, keep uh, droplets from spreading. But if you're a healthcare worker surrounded by coughing COVID patients, that that's not enough. It doesn't filter out those aerosolized particles. And there's just been a building and growing body of research showing that that position is correct, that utmost caution, you know, with all the workers should have been used. But of course, we have had a supply chain breakdown, and that that really wasn't possible everywhere. So that's been a through line in terms of, of why workers are getting sick. We've done a number of enterprise stories using the data we have. In one case, we ran our internal data against OSHA complaints and found that there were more than 35 cases where there were specific complaints about PPE at a workplace, and later a worker at that facility died. There was a pretty direct line we could draw between some of the complaints and some of the circumstances of workers' deaths, which was really a troubling story. So that was focusing on our nation's, you know, health and safety workforce watchdog organization, federal government agency that was really not protecting the workers.
0: And just to clarify, that's the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, just, just to clarify that.
1: Right. That's a federal OSHA and also state OSHA agencies, um, you know, didn't protect workers when they reached out and, and asked for help. Some of the other areas where, where we've been digging in, we're looking to see if healthcare workers were getting their workers' comp um, requests fulfilled for, you know, they might have had weeks off of work or a big hospital bill or maybe even um, seeking death benefits. And we found that there were a number of cases where where workers weren't getting those requests honored. The rate in Florida is actually 30% of cases from healthcare workers completely rejected. Um, and we also recently wrote about some research showing that healthcare workers of color were twice as likely as white healthcare workers to get the coronavirus. And there are some really interesting reasons about why that's happening. Largely because people of color are actually three times more likely to get. COVID and a lot of the healthcare workers who care for them are, are working in their own communities and um, under resourced hospitals and really sort of on the most dangerous zone of the front lines.
0: If these are the things that y'all have found, you've kind of highlighted these ways in which these workers have really been, um, they've been failed in, in, in these ways. What's being done to address some of the things that y'all have found?
1: Um, I can jump in on that. as Christina. You know, One thing we've written about recently, there's a lot of, um, this really is coming from the Democrats um, in Congress, are calling for a temporary emergency OSHA standard, because what you have coming from the CDC are recommendations. And a lot of them are good, and a lot of them are widely criticized, but at the end of the day, they're all recommendations. So you see OSHA complaints saying, oh, workers are directly exposed, but nobody's quarantining at all. Or, I know somebody is sick and and they're being encouraged to come to work sick. Or, we don't know as workers who has COVID or who doesn't have COVID. I mean, on and on and on. There are things that would be addressed by some of the CDC recommendations or even some of the OSHA laws in certain states. But basically, there's no enforcement. There's no requirement um, that any of it's actually followed. So there is a push for a national temporary, um, enforceable standard where hospitals would be fined if they fail to um, follow recommendations. There are also groups pushing for those on a state level because there's a lot of reluctance on the federal level to go there because hospitals, you know, are saying they're just doing the best they can in, in a crisis and and don't want to be held accountable for really complex worker safety protections.
0: Are there one or two? major factors that really have contributed to all these frontline healthcare worker deaths. I mean, we can maybe assume that people in these settings are going to be put more at risk during a pandemic. This was a pandemic that our healthcare system in so many ways wasn't prepared for. So short of that lack of preparedness and this being an extraordinary situation, where could we look if we wanted to say these are some of the institutions that that haven't worked the way they should?
1: Well, this is Christina. I think certainly there's a lot of criticism around the CDC acknowledgement that healthcare workers can or should wear surgical masks or even cloth face coverings when there's nothing else available. There's been a lot of pushback on that from healthcare worker unions as, as inadequate and in putting workers at risk. Um, we've also done enterprise stories about healthcare workers not knowing if their colleagues or their patients have covid therefore not protecting themselves, not advocating for themselves to have that N95 mask and that full cohort of PPE and that extra level of caution. And we just had a story come out talking about healthcare workers, you know, being pressured to go to work sick. And we've seen that in these cases. In case after case, you find just new and disturbing situations, you know, workers treating COVID patients that nobody knew at the time was a COVID patient. And then that worker gets sick and dies. On and on, it's it's very multifactorial. I think there's accountability for the hospitals, for state and local agencies, and for certainly the CDC and OSHA as well. I think if healthcare workers feel like their support system failed them, I, I think there are many um, healthcare workers who'd be justified in, in feeling that way.
0: We're talking on the occasion of, of y'all have now launched this database where readers can go in and kind of look at all of these stories that y'all have compiled, interact with, with some of this data. I mean, I'm wondering, Danielle, just reflect if you could on kind of the value that you hope your audience gets from telling the stories of all of these individuals.
2: This is Danielle. Um, I've just been thinking about how as the numbers climb across the country, we're, I think a lot of people are becoming numb to, just the incredible tragedy of this pandemic and i think by highlighting and telling the stories and showing the faces of the health workers who have been lost we are forcing people to confront just the incredible losses that our country's experienced and i think also with the with the data we're pointing out that a lot of the inequities we've seen broadly in the pandemic are reflected in the healthcare field. As Christina mentioned, a majority of the healthcare workers who died were identified as people of color. Nearly a third of the healthcare workers we've written about were born outside the United States. That is a reflection of how much our healthcare system relies on, on immigrants. So I hope that by telling these stories and by showing some data, we both remind people of just the incredible losses that have, have taken place and also have made us think a little bit about the, the inequities of this of this crisis.
0: Yeah, and, and Christina, do, do you have any thoughts?
2: Yeah, this is Christina. You know, it's hard not to
1: go to a personal place when thinking about this. I mean, I've given birth to two children and the nurses who were at my side. It sounds silly, but they were like angels. I mean, they were just my backbone when I was the most frightened and in pain I'd ever been in my life. And when you think about people who, um, you know, feel the calling to go into these professions where you're covered in people's urine and feces and blood and vomit, and and you're cleaning it up and you're holding hands and you're, you know, really caring for people and just knowing these people are being lost and sitting here in my home office, talking to their adult children, knowing they're own children are not going to have a grandparent. I mean, on a human level, you just really want the public to understand what we're losing and how important it is for personal accountability to wear a mask, to socially distance, to understand that this isn't just statistics, that this is, you know, real lives and real people who are going through deep mourning and a society losing innumerable decades of service from people who are professional, trained, compassionate caregivers. So I think the, the project you know, really resonates with me in, in terms of feeling like I'm able to do some small thing in this terrible pandemic situation. And I, I really hope people do also get that, that sense of humanity of, of what's being lost.
0: Christina Jewett is a reporter with Kaiser Health News. Danielle Renwick is a reporter with The Guardian. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at WABE.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at WABE.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The
2: world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.